This podcast is brought to you by Estee Lauder Company's UK and Ireland's breast cancer campaign. The campaign helped to make the opening of Future Dreams House possible and continues to raise millions to help end breast cancer. The house offers practical and emotional support to those diagnosed with the disease. Hello, I'm Victoria Derbyshire and welcome to And Then Came Breast Cancer. And this is a special bonus episode of the podcast brought to you by the Future Dreams Breast Cancer Charity. We're going to talk about breast cancer and language. What's the difference between stage three and grade three? What's the difference between a radiotherapist and a radiologist? If you're told you have carcinoma in situ, is that bad? Is that okay? How do you interpret a one in four chance of your cancer coming back? but also only a 1 in 13 chance of getting the cancer in the first place. Then imagine trying to work all that out while you're in a state of anxiety and stress because you've just been told you've got breast cancer. My guests today are here to help us understand and process information which can sometimes be frightening and sometimes hard to comprehend. Professor Dame Leslie Fallowfield is Professor of Psycho-Oncology at Brighton and Sussex Medical School. Her work looks at the psychological responses of patients to cancer and its treatments and is funded by Breast Cancer Research Foundation. That's an organisation founded by Evelyn Lauder. Professor Fallowfield, welcome. Hello to both of you. And the second person who Professor Fallowfield has just alluded to is Alexia Barron, who, when you were diagnosed, Alexia, I think it's fair to say, you you really struggled. Yeah. Um like many, many cancer patients, struggled to take it all in. And we'll hear your story in just a moment. But I want to start with you, Professor Fallowfield. You have talked about a naivety amongst patients when it comes to understanding breast cancer. What do you mean and where does that come from? Okay, I think essentially what I mean by that, I don't mean it in a sort of pejorative fashion Mm. at all. It's just that um, when one is diagnosed with breast cancer, you enter all of a sudden a strange esoteric world with people introducing quite rapidly utterly new concepts, phrases, words, numbers. And um, one of the primary difficulties about this is that As all of us know, any area that we work in for a long time, we become very familiar with the sorts of terms, issues, areas that we discuss. And we start to forget, we become so inured to the language that we're talking to each other as professionals, we forget that that poor person sitting in front of us is experiencing this perhaps for the first time and hasn't got a clue half the time what on earth many of these strange new concepts mean. Their heads will be filled with images and I don't know, sort of basic understanding of what breast cancer means, but they're not prepared for the sorts of terminology that they've got to rapidly assimilate and then, importantly, make some decisions around. Mm. And what, what would you say are the general gaps in people's knowledge and also the common misunderstandings? Well, the gaps in knowledge um, are numerous because, uh, I mean, on one, one sort of good thing, if there's a good thing to say about breast cancer, is that it probably attracts more research funding 
than any other tumour site. Consequently, we've got many more new treatments to offer people, um, which means that many women now are likely to live longer, better lives with their cancer or even be cured from it. But trying to actually explain the complexity of the underlying molecular biology of these sorts of things is very different from the sort of breast cancer images that women might have from having known a grandmother who died of the disease or an aunt. Treatments change rapidly. So you've got the complexity of the treatments to handle, but also the fact that healthcare professionals use words in different ways. If I can give you an example, if you're told that they've just done a biopsy under your arm and that you've got positive nodes, that's a very bad indication because it means that the breast cancer has spread. Whereas having a negative nodes actually is a good thing because it means that the cancer is more sort of likely to have been retained within the breast tumour. And yet we, in a lay context, use those words positive and negative completely differently. So I think people can get really confused right at the outset just by the terminology, not um, the fact that breast cancer treatment is very complicated now. I'm going to ask you for more of those kind of examples, um, Professor Filefield, in a moment or two. But let me talk to Alexia, who I'm sitting opposite. This this has not really happened for, to, for two years, for pretty much the whole time we've been doing our podcast. So wow. it's really nice to see you in person. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Alexia. Okay, well, a little bit about myself. Um, in March 2020... I was pregnant with my second child and I was diagnosed with breast cancer. Five days later, the UK went into lockdown. So I was given this information, you have breast cancer, which on its own, I mean, I know, I know I was prepared to not understand the terminology and what I had to go through and I had a lot of research that had to go into it. But at first at 29 pregnant, I didn't even know what that meant. How is that even possible? So just accepting that during the peak of a pandemic, my husband and I were sitting with our masks on, trying not to uncover our masks in the hospital because, you know, at that time, COVID was a death sentence. Mm. So I take off my mask, I could die. I'm getting breast cancer diagnosis, I can die. I'm pregnant. I'm just trying to take in all this information. And the first thing they gave me was a purple book, (laughs) thick book with a picture of someone that looked like they were smiling on the front and everything was going to be okay but I just didn't know I did not know what to do with this book you know I was pregnant what does this mean for me and my journey was a little bit different because yes I had a biopsy but I can have an MRI scan or PET scan or CT scan because I was pregnant so you have breast cancer and that was it and I had to then be induced two weeks later on my own. And the day after giving birth, they rolled me across the street. And that's when I started having, you know, the scans and the imaging and just to see what was going on, what was happening. How many weeks pregnant were you when you were induced? I was 36 weeks pregnant. They kept me going really as much as I could to full term to give my baby the best chances. And Thankfully, everything went okay. She was, I mean, she, I call her my warrior princess. She came mm-hmm. out strong. I was getting ready to be strong, but it was, it was a lot and there was no one to speak to. I know that though, I know that even 
the language around breast cancer is, I mean, I know four languages, but that language, let me tell you, mm -hmm. you know, it, it takes it out of you emotionally, physically, mentally, in every way. And um, there was no one to speak to because the UK was in lockdown. My GP surgery closed down the day after I was diagnosed. So that was a journey on its own. And um, I gave birth and I started chemo what, a week later, my first chemo appointment. I mean, what you have described is is overwhelming and I'm just listening to it. You are <laughs> I, actually going through it. Yeah, very much so. What are the four languages you speak, by the way? Okay, <laughs> here it goes. <laughs> English, French, mm -hmm. Hebrew, mm -hmm. and a bit of Spanish. Okay. But cancer still can't speak it. I mean, listening just now, I'm like, oh my God, that's so true. Like, you know, I do know what in situ means, but now, and this is two years later, or, mm. oh, that's true, my lymph nodes were positive, but I thought that was a good thing at the time, you know, and it takes years mm. to really understand. Professor Fallafield, why do some medical professionals forget that when we're diagnosed with breast cancer, often we are completely lacking in knowledge if we haven't had a friend or a relative who's gone through it? That's a really difficult question to answer because, um, you know, I don't want to sort of start on a doctor bashing exercise. No, no, and, and that's why I said okay. some, because, we, yes, you know, right. we will have all come across, and, pe and people that I've interviewed on the podcast have come across some incredible health professionals. So we, yes. I, do, I do think we have made that clear over the last two series of And Then Came Breast Cancer. Absolutely, and, and I think virtually all the healthcare professionals I've actually come across who deal with patients with breast cancer have their best interests at heart yeah. but it, it really does come back to this thing as I said that you become so immersed in the area that you just forget that you know the sorts of phrases that you're using with your colleagues all the time to discuss optimal treatment or whatever for most people are sort of just they might just as well be Chinese now to circumvent that of course um, people often sort of say oh well you know even if the patient hasn't understood what I said I've given them information and Alexia uh, alluded to her purple book <laughs> now the problem with with much of the written information is that that too is often written at a level that few people can genuinely understand so if you think about the fact that 43% um, of a UK population cannot actually manage to cope with most of the health literature that they're given. When you think about the fact that about 22%, only 22% of a UK population are functionally um, numerate, you see why we've got a big mm -hmm. problem. That even when you give the information in different sort of formats, many people can't understand it. So, I mean, one of the things that I, I think sort of to answer your question more directly, that often sort of inhibits um, a good communication um, is that doctors are also very scared now of being seen as patronizing. Really? So, Interesting. Yes. So you've got you've got this sort of um, particularly and forgive me for saying this, Alexia, you're a very um, articulate um, 
clearly middle-class woman who um, I suspect people would um, automatically assume that you'd know what they were talking about, that you'd understand is that Is that fair, Alexia? I mean, it's fair to say, but if you saw the state of me at all my appointments, I mean, and during COVID, during COVID, so I had no one there. So whereas before... Okay, fair enough. Maybe if I was there with someone who could kind of ground me and they just assume that I can, you know, take everything in. I was in a different world. I was so emotionally overwhelmed by everything going on. I mean, in my case, I just had given birth. In a week, I had to take all this information in as to what, where I was, where I had spread to, what I was looking at, what I had to start in terms of treatment in the next few days and I had no one there so I had my husband on FaceTime trying to take in that information and Mm -hmm. maybe he I mean thank goodness for him because I if my state was not I was not with there I was there was tears rolling down my eyes what does this mean for me what's going to happen how long do I have when you were saying well that's how long do I have that's interesting when you were saying what does this mean you mean am I going to die or am I going to survive yes like I'm 29 uh, what is, am I, just be, I was like, you know, just give it, give it to me. Like, mm. what is it? Give and of course, I, at that stage, they know, can't tell you that. They because can't, they don't and, know. you know, and. Um, but you didn't know that because the, I and that's did not exactly know that. the first question I asked. I was like, you could, am I going to survive this? Or, you know, and the thing also is the stages and grades. I was, you know, what stage am I at? Mm. Like, is this, am I, am I far gone? Like, mm. is it, do I have mm. hope? Let, let's just, on the stages and the grades, yeah. Professor Fallowfield, why don't you just explain the difference if you would? Okay, so so the grades are when you actually look at uh, breast cancer tumours under the microscope, you can actually see whether they are um, at an early grade one or two, which has got a better prognosis associated with it, or grade three stroke four, this is actually more serious. And is is the grade about how speedily the, 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 the cells are multiplying? Exactly. You'll hear a doctor talk about proliferation of cells, but that's what it means. Cells actually, all cells, normal cells, as well as abnormal ones like cancer cells, will actually constantly be doubling or, or increasing in size. So if it's and grade, so, 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 so let's, just, let's just nail this. So if it's grade, grade one, it's yes. growing really slowly. If it's grade three, it's speedier. It's that that that's broadly speaking a a good enough a, okay. a sort of phrasal of it. Whereas stage is the stage of disease that you're at, because even if you have got a grade one or two tumor, that doesn't necessarily mean that it won't actually spread and progress mm. or recur in different parts of uh, the body. So when you're looking at stage, you're looking at the stage of disease, which base broadly means sort of the um, spread of it as much as anything else. And when we talk about stage four, because yeah. again, this is a this is a term that strikes fear into a lot of people because yes. many people know that stage four means that it is not curable, but it yeah. is treatable. We mm. now know, because of the advances made in treatment, that people with stage four cancer, which means it's spread from the primary site to elsewhere, can live for a number of years managing that stage four cancer. Is that correct, Professor? Yes, I mean, uh, it, not I always, think it, but 
It's, it's not always the case. It does, again, depend slightly on the type of breast cancer because whilst we can look at um, grade and stage, there are different types of breast cancer as well. And you're going to look at other features within the cancer cell um, that are going to predict how long somebody is likely to live and also what the best treatment is likely to be. You might have heard people talk about things like um, estrogen receptivity, um, uh, which basically means that if you are estrogen receptor positive, you'll hear that word said a lot, that means that hormone treatments are going to be an effective part of your uh, treatment program. Whereas if you're estrogen receptor negative, hormones aren't going to work. Um, you'll hear people talk about whether the tumor is HER2 positive or negative, yeah, um, which means, you know, again, it's got some prognostic or um, indicators that will tell you whether or not somebody is likely to benefit from different types of treatment um, and how long overall they're likely to actually continue benefiting from that treatment. Okay. Alexia, can you can you remember some of the language, the phrases, the terminology that you heard in those early days and weeks? My, I mean, would you would you believe me if I still told you I don't even know what stage I was diagnosed at? Um, I know my grade was three, mm -hmm. and I kept on asking, "What stage am I?" You know, what what stage am I? Because as you know, like, you know, stage four is scary. You know, stage mm -hmm. four is scary. I need to know, am I scared? I mean, I'm scared, but how scared do I need to be? Right. Victoria, and, can, I, can I ask Alexia, actually interrupt here? Sure. Um, did anybody ever sort of suggest triple negative disease to you? Um, yeah, well, when I was in between being first di well, diagnosed, um, and I had to wait. I have my biopsy, and I had to wait for further testing. I was told there's three options. There's either um, a hormone kind of lead breast cancer, HER2 positive breast cancer, or a triple negative, which is the most aggressive, and it's not hormone lead or HER2 positive, and it's kind of harder to treat because we don't know really how to treat it. Why did you, why did you ask the question, Alex, uh, Professor? Uh, well, well, it's just sort of that, um, you know, being told that you're triply negative can um, make people even more alarmed, yet I'm not entirely sure that many women understand the implications of that. What, what does it mean then? Well, well, it does actually mean, as Alexia was, was alluding to mm. there, that um, some of the sorts of treatment options that would be available for most of the women who develop breast cancer yeah. are not necessarily going to be very helpful for you, which can be sort of quite sort of anxiety provoking. But the other thing, actually, I, I think I'd just like to throw in here is that um, it's terribly i mean it really makes my sort of uh, heart go out to you alexia that Thank you. you're in the situation but um breast cancer tends not to affect younger women like you it tends to be a disease that affects older women i know and um and 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 most young women have usually got triple negative disease or they actually have got a family history. They carry a, a gene that makes them 
more susceptible to breast cancer. So I think that the sorts of language that people would be using with you would not always be typical of the language that somebody else might have, but also seeing a young woman pregnant in tears in front of them, that's going to be a challenge for them to actually be honest about Mm. things. And um, I, I, I mean, as I say, I, my heart goes out Thank to you, you and so your much. But um, I think that the um, primary problems that, you know, any healthcare professional dealing with you specifically would be that they too have got emotions. They too would know that this is not the usual sort of breast cancer that they deal with. A hundred percent. And I mean, if I'm being honest in the beginning when I was just try to find out, you know, who do I go to? Who's my doctor? And um, who's going to look after me? Who's going to be my oncologist? I was told, you need to find a breast surgeon first. And then based on that, you find your oncologist. And I thought that was a little bit reversed. You know, that didn't really make any sense. But that was, I mean, I've never done this before, Mm -hmm. you know? Okay, Mm -hmm. if that's what I need to do. And I was just trying to speak to a few people just on the phone based on my situation. And it's funny that you mentioned that, Professor, because... Someone that I had spoken to originally was like, you know what, have your baby and I'm sure it's going to be hormone positive because you're pregnant and it was led from the pregnancy and that's easy to deal with. And we want that because that's the easiest one to deal with. And I was like, okay. Who, who said that to you? A healthcare professional? A healthcare professional. Okay. Um, and they were wrong? Well, yeah, they were very wrong. And I was finger, you know, fingers mm. crossed, fingers, okay, hormone led, hormone led. It's my pregnancy, you know. Mm. As soon as I have the baby, I can, you know, figure it all out and it'll be okay. Um, no, it was not hormone-led. It was HER2 positive. Uh, and I was a shock of my life. I thought, oh my goodness, I didn't get the easy one. There's no easy one. But um, I was so scared. I was so scared. And, um, and that's when I actually, you know, it's funny because that's when I knew I found the right person for me, my oncologist, who sat me down and said, listen, yeah, we have a treatment plan. And I said, whoa, 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 back up. What does that look like? He said, let me draw it out for you. He took out a piece of paper. He started drawing with FSPs, three treatment, 12, 12, 12. You know, okay, okay, okay. My husband's on FaceTime. He's zooming in. I'm trying to show him taking pictures. And I was like, but what, what, what? He said, listen, I know it's scary, but HER2 positive five years ago would have been even scarier. We have immunotherapy treatments to help you deal with it. You, We're going to take care of you. And that's all I really, <gasps> honestly, it's hard to hear. Oh my I came gosh. out crying and my breast surgeon was with him and he said, we're going to take care of you. Yeah. Oh, okay, 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 okay. By the way, can I, I just want to say, sorry, I, I was, no, no, no. I was chuckling then. Because you were gesticulate, you were you were recreating it's, oh. the, the, the the oncologist drawing this plan yeah. for you, and you were holding your left hand up as your husband is on Facetime. You're, oh re, you're, you're going through it again. I can feel it because it's something that I honestly sometimes I say, you know, what were the words? Like say, what were the words? And that's exactly it. You can't you can't take in the words. Mm. The words are just too much, and that's why you need someone with you. And that's what in non-COVID times I always say to people, 100%. you have to take someone with you. They can take notes. Yes. They will hear things that you don't hear because you're trying to, you're being overwhelmed with all this information. Sorry, Professor, do carry on. I, I was actually just going to say, actually, that um, one of the things also that I think is so important here is the fact that most people don't actually have breast cancer in a social vacuum, you know, yeah. um, 
other people are going to be affected by it as well, the people who love and care for you. And um, they're going to have their own reactions. And um, I think it is always wise to take the person that who cares for you most, who you want to be with you at a consultation. But I think that they are going to be affected as well. And it's wrong to assume that the patient will be the only one that's all over the place and that the person who they've brought along is going to be fine and manage it. If we think about things from a psychological point of view, People react to information about things like breast cancer in two ways, basically. That's cognitively, which is the way they evaluate the information that's given to them, and emotionally, the impact that that has. Now, both of these things are very intertwined. So the information can cause emotions, and yet the emotions can actually influence the receipt of the information. And you've got both parties doing that as well, you know, with, mm-hmm. the, with your carer, your husband, your friend or whoever's with you. And so one of the things that um, my colleagues and I did years ago, we started actually encouraging doctors to give patients a tape recording of the consultation to take home with them and play a game with others or when you were feeling more, if you like, receptive to hearing the information. And nowadays, of course, with everybody with their smartphones and everything, you can easily say that to your doctor, look, and most doctors know that um, patients will take in the first thing that you say, the last thing that you say, and then actually, you know, <laughs> you know that is such a good idea. It has never occurred to me really? that on your phone you, you can, can record. just record the whole thing. Have you done I, that, Alexia? Yeah, I have done it a few times. Has That's it, why I, I'm smiling from ear to ear because wow. I'm so glad you mentioned that. Such a good idea. I did. I have done that a few times, especially when I was in a like you know in an appointment where there wasn't reception so well or I was on my own underground or before an MRI scan and I had to take in all the information record voice note it send it to my husband he he honestly and he was my re- like he was my research he everything I took in he took in and explained it to me even mm. later on in the calmer can I ask you Alexia did sure did you google any terms did you google anything <laughs> you want to know something funny the only thing I googled <laughs> was and google is scary you know doctors say don't go on google like throughout they say do not go on google but when i first found i don't even want to call it a lump because it wasn't a lump but it was a 10 centimeter tumor it was so large it was just a hard surface on my breast and i looked up i'm 29 you know do i have tumor and google was like no it's normally between 40 to 50s range so i was like wow google okay if google's telling me i'm okay i'm okay so that was kind of the one thing that I did Google. But after that, I, I my doctor said, please don't Google. Please don't Google. It's just going to scare you. If And that's one thing I, I have to admit they were fantastic at. Um, any questions, any concerns, side effects, don't Google it. Call the chemo nurse. Call the nurse, you know, that's working with my breast surgeon or my oncologist. And she will walk you through it and tell you if it's normal. Because some of the side effects that I experienced were not something that I ever thought I would experience going through chemo or after surgery or after radiotherapy or after immunotherapy or still today. I'm um, going to ask you to explain what yeah. immunotherapy is because it is still relatively new and there will be some people listening to this who may not know or appreciate the significance of it because it 
hopefully Touchwood is the future. I mean, I, I'm sure the professor can do a much better job than I can, but from my understanding, mm-hmm. my um, because, for example, I was hormone, my cancer was hormone negative and HER2 positive, there has to be a very targeted treatment to target that specific type of HER2 protein, if, it, if I'm correct, and um, the immunotherapy treatment target that exactly. But in practical terms, what is it? Oh, is, it, is, it is, is it the drug? Practical is it a- terms, it is IV treatment. Um, right, so it's, it's a fusion. Correct. Yeah. So how I would go, I mean, I was having it at the same time as chemo. Mm-hmm. So I would come in, I would have my first immunotherapy treatment, 30-minute pause, next immunotherapy, uh, immunotherapy treatment, another hour pause, kind of break, Cold cap, let's get ready. So this is like hours. Right. And, then and so that immunotherapy chemo. is specifically tailored for you and your cancer, correct? Specifically tailored to my HER2 positive right. cancer. Okay. Amazing. Yes, yes. Um, and it is why my oncologist said HER2 positive would have been really, I mean, it is scary, but it would have been something I would have been even, you know, even scared to talk about you with you five years ago. But because of this, because of immunotherapy, I feel confident. I feel strong because of because of how far its treatment has come in the past just five years. Incredible, Professor Fallowfield. Victoria, yeah, yeah, go, go, go. Could I just jump in about Doctor Google and consulting, yeah, please? Um, <laughs> um, because I, I feel very passionately about this. Because um, uh, if you actually do Google any sorts of breast cancer, the f- people tend when they when their googling behaviour is interesting, they tend to only look at the first page. Mm-hmm. And then they might scroll scroll through randomly others. Now, the um, purveyors of snake venom and other um, horrible alternative remedies know all this, and they tend to have sponsored links on the first page. So you'll often actually find really not just wacky, weird advice, you'll find sometimes quite harmful advice as well. And we've just finished a survey, my my research team, with um, women who've got metastatic breast cancer that spread. Um, They've got more advanced disease. And uh, we were asking them about their unmet information needs and also advice that they would give to other women with breast cancer. And one of them um, actually said, I would tell everybody to avoid ever Googling (laughs) what your doctor has just said. I'm not surprised. What would be better would be to go on to one of the good charity sites such Mm -hmm. as Breast Cancer Now or CRUK. They've got some really good information that people update regularly that will fit with the sorts of treatment that actually is tested and we know works. Have you got any research, and it may not exist, but from your background uh, as a specialist in psycho-oncology, is there any evidence to suggest that the way healthcare professionals first impart the information to a cancer patient has any impact on the way they behave, the patient behaves through treatment? Um, yes, I mean, we, we, we've got some information um, about that with research that we've done showing, for example, that um, patients who are not treated with respect, with appropriate em- empathy, um, tend to mistrust 
their healthcare professionals. So they're less likely to um, adhere to the recommendations that are made. Um, if you haven't understood what somebody has said, if they've not recognized the difficulties that you are likely to have with the sorts of suggestions they're making about treatment, then you're really not going to fare well. And that doesn't mean just that you will feel more anxious perhaps about things. It means also that you'll have difficulty understanding what you could do to help make things better. So I think it's really important that um, when we are training our healthcare professionals. We don't just talk about the latest scientific evidence about one drug versus another or one procedure versus another. We also do emphasize the importance of being flexible with your language so that it fits the person in front of you. You mentioned, Alexia, personalized or targeted treatment. Mm -hmm. Well, I think we should have personalized and targeted um, communication with Absolutely. patients as well. And, um, and, and you are actually, I think I'm right in saying, developing a training course for healthcare professionals to communicate with patients better, to talk to them in a, in a, in a way that's more effective, perhaps more empathetic. Tell us briefly about that. Yes, we, we over the years, we've been doing this for a long time, but the last two that have been funded by the Breast Cancer Research Foundation, who I'm very grateful to, have been really important uh, courses to help people do talk about um, an important test called a gene expression profiling test. And this is when you look inside the tumor cell, you look at the genes in the tumor cell, and you decide whether or not that's going, that woman is likely to be at high risk of the cancer returning or not. If she's high risk, she needs to have chemotherapy. If she's low risk, she can avoid chemotherapy. And that's so important. But you're talking about lots of complicated numbers there. And um, if somebody is scared because they've got a life-threatening disease, most lay people seem to think, give me everything, you know, better safe yeah. than sorry. Yet lots of women can avoid chemotherapy altogether. They'd only get the harms of it, not the benefits. So that's one course that we've been running. And uh, another has been talking about hereditary breast cancer, how to actually talk to women um, and men about the risks that they actually have as a result of a, a father, a mother, someone in their family who's actually had a, a particular gene that makes them susceptible to breast cancer. And again, you're talking a lot about risk and uncertainty, which um, a lot of people find difficult to express and a lot of people find difficult to understand. How are you now, Alexia? I'm okay. I mean, it's actually, um, just listening to the professor, uh, it hits home, you know, because I remember walking in and saying, you know, I was, gosh, I was crying whether, you know, when I would hear a new detail about something else or what the scan would show or, you know, any updates. And um, I'd always look at them and say, but just you, you give me everything you got, you know, everything. I don't, even if I'm crying right now, don't, don't, just you go. You give me everything. I don't want to have any regrets. You know, mm -hmm. you don't want to have any regrets. You don't want to look back in 10 years and say, oh, if I just had that extra chemotherapy or that extra immunotherapy, I, maybe I wouldn't, no, it wouldn't come back. Who knows, you know? And I had a newborn at home and a two-year-old. 
I couldn't have those risks. So I would, every time I would cry, I would, yeah, but I'm okay though. Keep on, keep on going. Like we're not stopping it. And you know, of course we're not stopping Alexia, you know? And I look at my, call my husband after and say, why am I always like, you know, and he's like, you're trying to be such a good patient. You know, you're always trying to be such a good patient. Mm -hmm. And when they ask you like, how are you, how are you doing? It's, is that a trick question? You know, because obviously I'm not doing great, but I'm okay. Like I need to continue. So I'm okay. And, um, yeah, that really hit home. That really hit home. I mean, in so many different levels, whether it was through chemotherapy or even when I was planning my double mastectomy, just what to do, you know, what what am I supposed to do? Was that your choice to have both removed or so, what was the recommendation? Okay, so my, my breast surgeon said, all right, we're removing, you know, my breast cancer was on the right breast. Mm -hmm. You know, a surgery in a month, you're ready, everything's okay. And I said, wait a minute, what do you think? Like, do, you know, I have to, my left breast is okay, but what do you think? You know, I had genetic testing. I didn't have the BRCA gene, which was super important for me. I just had a newborn baby girl. I mm -hmm. needed to know what was going on. Thankfully, didn't have the gene, but still very odd at 29 to be having breast cancer. Um, what do I do? Do I, what do you do? And she, you know, it's up to you. It's your choice. No, 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 but I've never, <laughs> oh, I've never done this before. <laughs> I've never done this before. I need your help. Like, what do I do? And the question that gets them every time, and I honestly, I don't know if it's a sucker punch, but it is the question I've asked every time. I just needed a real answer is, if I was your daughter, if I was your daughter sitting here right now, what would you tell me to do? Because I've never done this before. I don't know. I want to live a long and happy life. You can, you know, just, well, if I was your daughter, what would you tell me to do? And every time they say, yeah, double mastectomy. Don't even think about it. Really? Yeah. And I was like, okay, done. That's my answer. Okay. Can I just tell you a counter story briefly yeah. and finally? So I had, I've got to remember which side I had cancer on. It was the right breast that was removed in a mastectomy. Before we got to that point, I said, literally in a relatively blasé way yeah. to the surgeon, well, should we just get rid of the other one as well? Just, you know, to, to, to make sure there's no risk in the future. He said to me, if you are asking me to remove the left breast, I can do that for you. But I need to tell you that the left breast is healthy. Yeah. And so that, that kind of took me back. And, and so I went away and thought, thought about it and talked about it with my husband. And I came back and said, OK, we're keeping the left one. Interesting. So it's just 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 to show that you know no answer is the right answer. It absolutely no answer depends is the right on, answer. on the individual. It definitely depends, and yeah. I think it also takes a lot of research. And I was really, honestly, very fortunate that my husband was because of COVID and because he couldn't be there for me. His hat, like his research hat, went on, and he was kind of like focusing on everything, on all the different methods, what to do, what not to do. I mean, forget insurance, like insurances, like dealing with them on the side, you know, because it's preventative and not, you know, it's. It, even though I had they found like a small lump. I mean, it, the whole thing is a fight. You know, the whole thing is a fight and you don't know what to do before. You've never done this. It's like going to war. I was just like going to war. I'm standing there. I've never done this. I'm young. I mean, no one's ever you know done this the first time they've had to do it. And, and you look, you look for help and you look. And I wanted to tap in kind of like that emotional, like I'm your daughter. Mm -hmm. What am I doing? You're 29 years old. I don't want you to deal with this again. You're going to have more kids, hopefully, you know, so let's not deal with this. Yeah. Okay, let's not deal with this, you know. Okay. And that's why I think the words and the language used are so important um, by healthcare professionals because I, for me, it was, it was my Bible almost, you know, it was, okay, that's the, that's my ways, that's where I'm going in 200 meters turning right, you know, because <laughs> other than that, 
who are you going to turn to? I'm trying not to Google. I'm not going to read the purple book that they gave me in the beginning. I'm just not. It's just, <laughs> I'm just not. You that, know? that purple book has been well and truly trashed. Oh, I'm so sorry, purple book. I I know you have good intentions, but it's just a lot. Yeah, Maybe they can give much. you a CD or something in the beginning, or a USB to listen to. I don't know. It's a lot. Okay. Can, can I just say that, that, that we've been making um, patient, user-friendly, short little um, videos for patients to help understand um, really complex tests. And we asked patients whether they preferred the um, video or the um, information leaflet and the video won hands down. So hundred percent. Be recording it in lots and lots of different languages. But, Amazing. But, but I wish I just that. <laughs> one, Could I just say one thing? Alexia, I'm slightly concerned um, that a message might go out here that um, really what everybody should do is have both breasts removed, although Victoria... Oh. Uh, said that she didn't yeah. um, it, it would not be seen as standard practice to remove a healthy breast normally unless you carry the gene and I, I just sort of feel that um, it would be a, a, a difficult message for me to sit on no 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 of course I'm not uh, I'm not advocating that anyway at all I'm yeah, just that's why no, I mentioned it was right for you it was right it was right for me and like I said, I was 29. I was pregnant. It didn't make sense. I didn't have a bracket gene. They found, I said, a small lump on the left side, left breast that they had to as well biopsy. And it was the right move for me. And sure. that's why I had to ask from a very emotional perspective, what do I do? Okay. Thank you so much, both of you. Um, Professor Fallowfield, really, some of the things you've told us, absolutely fascinating, very insightful. Thank you. I really appreciate it. And you've given us some really good advice as well. We always like to be a bit practical as well. Uh, Alexia Barron, thank you so much. Thank you for having thank me. Thank you for being so candid. Honestly, it's, it's, <laughs> it's been, it's you been have a to joy be. to yeah. meet you. Thank you. It's a joy meeting you as well. Mm, you don't just have to say that because no, I just honestly, said it to you. No, honestly, this is really nice. <laughs> <laughs> if you would like more information, please. I mean, uh, Professor Fallowfield has mentioned some excellent and reputable websites Cancer Research UK Macmillan Cancer there are many others Breast Cancer Now obviously I'm going to say the Future Dreams website as well um, I'm on social media you can contact me at any time as many of you do I always read all your messages and reply to as many as I can and this is a Factory Original and Six Foot Six production thank you so much for listening <laughs> Future Dreams Breast Cancer Charity hopes you found this podcast helpful. We fund awareness, support and research. If you would like to help us do more, please text WeCare to 7500 to make a £5 donation or visit our website at futuredreams.org.uk forward slash donate. Future Dreams Breast Cancer Charity will receive 100% of your donation. Text costs your donation plus one standard rate text message, UK only. Always get the bill payers' permission. We would like to contact you on your mobile phone with news and updates. If you would rather opt out, then please add no info to the end of your message. For example, we care, no info. Thank you again for listening.